0: Good morning, everybody. Sorry, let me look at you and I greet you properly. am just getting some water. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So good to see you, man. So good to be a part of this meeting. And as I look, it's raining. I did not see that coming this morning when we arrived and it was hot and it was sun was out. But um, we do live in a little jut out into the middle of the ocean, I suppose. Eh? And so we should expect that... Um, from time to time, the weather changes frequently, which it does. If I haven't met you, my name is Luke. I'm one of the leaders here in this community. It's a delight to be able to share a message with you today. Um, We're launching a new preaching series, Eternal Beings in a Temporary World. And uh, I mean, if you're new to church or you're back in church after a long time, you could not have chosen a better Sunday to arrive in church. As we, we look in this series for the next five weeks at how Your belief about the future will shape how you live in the present. Eternal beings in a temporary world. It was inspired by a book titled by a guy named John Ortberg, wrote a book called Eternity is Now in Session. It kind of got me thinking a little bit. I listened to a podcast. I then bought and read the book as well. And some of those th- the thoughts from that book come through in today's message as well. Now, I don't know what you believe about God. Perhaps if you're a visitor, maybe you're here and you're an atheist. Maybe you believe there is no God. Maybe you're a deist. You believe well, if there is a God, he's kind of... Uh, I, distant and uninvolved in our lives. Maybe you haven't even thought about it much. Maybe you're you're still working out what it is that you believe about God. I want to say to you today, what you believe about God, and with that, what you believe about the future, that which happens on the other side of death, will determine how you live in the present. I think in part, our modern tendency to live such busy, full, overwhelmed lives is in part Got to do with uh, what you believe about the future or a lack of belief around the future as well. We cram our lives so full of so many things and feel overwhelmed, uh, so much so that the late um, cardiologist uh, Maya Friedman or Maya Friedman described and coined this phrase, hurry sickness. Well, after his upholsterer, who fixes his chairs in his waiting room, noticed an unusual pattern of wear on the couches. Maya Friedman described it as this, this, the symptoms of feeling rushed, worried, preoccupied, and time short, and how these things hinder our quality of life. Then came COVID, right, and reset us all, right, and so we stopped living such busy lives, right? No, (laughs) if we're honest, if I must be honest with you, most conversations I've had with people, I get to have many as a pastor, people would say in 2022, we've experienced record levels of busyness, Why can't we slow down our frantic pace in life? And I think it's in part because of the timeline or clock that we live to. Not your circadian rhythm, which is the circadian rhythm is your wake and your sleep rhythm. Not not that. But what we believe about the timeline that you have, your span of life, I think rather influences how you live, the speed with which you live in this life. Said differently, what you believe around the future will determine the speed with which you live in the present. And so I want to start. Today's message title is, as we launch eternal beings in a temporary world, is the story you are living in. Every one of us believes a story. Every one of us believes a, a narrative, a worldview, if you will, that we believe to be true. And, and what you believe uh, in your worldview will determine the speed with which you live and what you give your life to. And so I want to put before us three possible stories uh, that, that I think there's hybrids of that we all kind of believe. Number one is the I story. The first story is the I story. It's the secular belief that there is no God, and if there is, or if there is a God, It doesn't really matter anyway because he's distant and he's aloof and he doesn't really care much about our lives anyway. So just get on living your best life now. Uh, You may know of the book written by Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist who um, launched and paid for a bus campaign in the UK. And this was his bus campaign. There's Dawkins himself on one of the public buses. There's probably no God, full stop. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life, was the campaign that he launched, this is the I story, the belief that we are temporary beings who live for a brief moment in time and then poof, are gone and disappear and nothing. Game over. The average life expectancy in South Africa, 70, in the world, sorry, 72 years. South Africa, 64. Women, you generally have three to seven years more than us men, men, three to seven years less than the ladies. And then it's all over and nothing. The, the little timeline there, graph. If we can bang that one up there, nerdin'. Life looks like this, this um, date with another. The, uh, no, uh, yes, that's exactly it. You live here, 1980 something, 60 something, 50 something, 20 something. Some of you were born in, right? I mean, it's a variety in the room here. You live your dash. You live here. That's all there is. And then 20-something, 20, 21-something, maybe taking your vitamins, I don't know. Um, And that's all there is. Life is like a terrarium. You know what a terrarium is? A little glass container with which grow, and everything happens in here. And then when it's over, it's gone. This is the I story. In the I story, three things. Number one, the purpose of life in the I story is do what makes you happy now. Do what makes you happy now. You are the center of your story. So look within yourself. Find your truth. What are my desires? What are my hopes? What are my dreams? What are my fears? What do I really believe will make me happiest in my 70 or so years? Is it home and family? Is it children or travel? Is it wealth or simplicity? Is it safety or adventure? Find out what it is and decide what makes you happy and do that thing. Obviously, try not to hurt others along the way as well, you know, within reason. But, 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 but even bigger than that is be true to yourself. It can be summed up in the our story, the, the kind of purpose of life is the pursuit of happiness. The law that believers of this story live by be true to yourself. Other versions of be true to yourself, follow your heart, seize the moment. You, you, be true to your truth, right? And the timeline that we live according to is it's now or never. Because there's no future, this is all you got, make the most of it in the present. You can see the connection to busyness, can't you? I mean, if this is all there is, and you've got to squeeze it all in right now, then you better make hay while the sun is shining, right? Because afterwards, it's gone. Then there is, and very interestingly, the Christianized version of the I story. And this is an interesting hybrid. It's a hybrid between the I story and some teachings from Christianity. This is the belief. There is a God. He's good, He's loving, He's just. He made the world and everything in it, and He wants us to be happy as His creatures. This life is like a great big test, and, and if you pass the test, then you go to the good place when you die, heaven. And if you fail the test, you go to the bad place when we die, hell. And so the purpose of life is about passing the test and getting into heaven. It's rooted in a gospel that goes like this. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died on a cross so we can be forgiven for our sins. So that we can go to heaven when we die salvation is about getting into heaven. It's by grace. It's through faith, through Jesus who made the way. And I must be honest with you, all of which I'm truly grateful for. But here's the thing. Salvation becomes reduced to a transaction that happens to get you somewhere one day when you date. It's all about getting to heaven. And as wonderful as elements of that are, the gospel and salvation is so much bigger than that. And, and if you believe like this, in the world in which we live, the I story begins to creep in and to get mingled in. And you end up with a version of Christianity that goes like this. The great law of this version is, what do I have to do so that I can get into heaven one day? What do I have to do so I can get to heaven? In life, if life is a test that determines where you go, the question invariably we ask ourselves is, well, what do I have to do to get in, right? What do I have to do uh, to get in? And if we're honest with ourselves, because of the eye story and the way in which our culture works, we start to ask this question. I mean, what are the like minimum entry requirements to get in, right? I mean, what do I have to believe so that they have to let me in one day? And then faith becomes about, well, I've got that covered, so life here remains about, well, you know, it's still getting on with my best life. I've got heaven taken care of, and so, so well, then I can do me now. And, and so much of what, what's been termed in the church consumer Christianity, how does it affect me, what do I get out of this, is this building me up, what will make me happy, is rooted in this belief the timeline of this uh, sort of worldview or story is life is still primarily focused on the here and now because I've got eternity covered check I can get on with the business of living my best life now the 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 sort of um, graph or picture timeline that we have for this one um if we can bang that one up is kind of like this you know you've got your years there's this kind of disconnected mysterious gap and then it's heaven you know and, and it lives like that. I think for many of us, we don't really think too much about the future. We don't really think too much about what's going to be there. Or if we do, it's kind of, well, it's mystery and you can't really know. And so it remains this kind of mysterious sort of gray. Um, I'm not really sure. Wow, it's quite technical and complicated. What, uh, so I kind of just leave it knowing that it's kind of going to be okay and focus all my attention. on here. You're still stuck in the terrarium of the present. Just your ears. The purpose of life in this uh, worldview is uh, given that eternity is covered, live the best life you can now. Given that I've got it sorted, I've got my heaven insurance or hell insurance and heaven ticket. Get on with living the best life you can now, and God will help you along the way. In the meanwhile, you kind of go through life, try and stay on the path, and one day Jesus is going to come and miraculously transform you so that one day when you get to heaven, you will fit. But salvation is reduced to a transaction about your future destination. And then there's the third one. This is the kingdom story. The kingdom story. Let's take a look at Jesus' message. And it must be said, Jesus' main message When Jesus summed up his ministry, this is the phrase, this is the teaching that Jesus shared. Uh, We'll look at it from two different gospels, two versions, and then we'll look at them how it plays out through the church in the book of Acts. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 and 15, this is Jesus announcing his mission. Here's what I've come to do. Now after John was arrested, there was the preparation for Christ, Jesus' moment now, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God has come in the coming of Christ. Jesus preached a message of the coming of God's kingdom. Or in Luke, and he called together the 12, Luke 9 verse 1 to 2, and he gave them power and authority. This is now Jesus empowering his disciples to get on with what he began now. Gave them authority, over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Then after Christ uh, ascends to heaven, the spirit is poured out, well, in a second, is about to happen, but the book of Acts opens up and which recounts the story of the early church. and the story of the early church, the book of Acts Acts chapter 1 verse three, and Jesus now having, having been resurrected, appears to the disciples, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what was most important to him. What did he want to focus them on? Speaking about the kingdom of God. The last verse now in the book of Acts. We've seen Jesus twice. We've seen the birth of the church and the the story of the early church. And now how does the last chapter, Acts chapter 28, the final verse, verse 31... Many people speak of Acts 29. The book of Acts is still being written through the early church. As Jesus began something, empowered his followers who empowered the church, and now the work of Christ continues in the world through the local church, the book of Acts concludes. What was Paul doing in Rome? Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. The main message of Jesus in his first coming was the kingdom of God is coming. God's kingdom is breaking into the world. In Christ's first coming, God's counterattack on sin and, and, and death and suffering was begun through Christ's coming. Heaven comes down to earth in the person of Christ. Heaven is breaking into our world, transforming our world, renewing our world, and refilling it with the fragrance of heaven as it transforms earth. Make sense so far? Jesus comes as his kingdom bringer. The the kingdom bringer, and the age of the kingdom of heaven is begun in the earth. He preached the message of the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? It's mysterious. I get it. What does it mean to talk about the kingdom of God? Simply this. In essence, the kingdom of God is the domain or the range of God's effective will. The range of God's effective will. In other words, the sphere where Everything that happens meets God's approval and delight. Okay? Where everything is, ex- is, is precisely exactly the way God wants it to be. Jesus described it in the Lord's Prayer as he, as he wove his great plan and mission into the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on Earth as it is in heaven. Let down here start to be transformed to look like up there. It's not so much get me out of here to that good place one day as much as it's heaven breaking in and transforming earth. Let's, let's give the mic to some cleverer people than me. N.T. Wright says this Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonise earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Or John Ortberg, Ortberg in his book, though Christ through Christ, God's power has become available to increasingly turn ordinary human beings. Are there any ordinary human beings here? to increasingly turn ordinary human beings into the kind of people who live in the ways of God in the here and the now. The gospel announces the availability of life under God's reign and power now. It's about up there coming down here. by Grace. Through Jesus, he invites you as a gracious gift to become an agent of the kingdom, to experience God's reign in your life, in your body, in your will, that your very desires would become transformed to match his desires and the desires of heaven. And then becoming a conduit to God's power and joy and love to a bruised and bleeding humanity in the South Peninsula all around you. The great law that believers live by in this story is become a disciple of Jesus. Jesus never asked anybody to pray a prayer to go to heaven one day when they die. He simply never did that. He did invite people to become his disciples, though. He invited them to bring their whole lives under his reign and his rule, to have their whole lives transformed into the ways of the kingdom, that they would follow him. Remember he said, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. As they followed him, they would be transformed. You would become like me. I will make you fishers of men, kingdom agents in this world. Perhaps the best language we have uh, is not the word discipleship, because discipleship is not a word we use much today anymore. Perhaps the best language we have is apprenticeship. Jesus would say, come and apprentice unto me. Make me your master and let me teach you that you would start to be able to learn to live and to do and to love the way I do. Dallas Willard put it like this, a disciple is someone whose ultimate goal is to live their life the way Jesus would live if he were me. how would Jesus live if he were you? I mean, you could do that in primary school, in Sun Valley Primary. You can ask that question. How would Jesus live if he were me? You could do that if you lived in Evergreen. You could do that wherever. How would Jesus live if he were me? And what does it look like to, to learn and to grow in my life so that more and more my life looks like the way it would look if Jesus was living in my life? The question of timeline in this story is this. We are eternal creatures living in God's great story. Can we bang up that slide, please, Nerden? That picture slide, I know there's lots of slides. That one with the diagram and the graph, that's the one. Have a look at this. Look at the data points of time. Uh, Yes, there's much that could be said of the Old Testament here. I just want to kind of focus us here today. You've got the first coming of Jesus, the first advent, 2,000 years ago, Christ's coming. You've got the the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension to heaven, and therefore the coming of the Holy Spirit in power at Pentecost, Uh, unleashing the age of the Spirit uh, where we're able to live as believers, empowered by the Holy Spirit in this little light blue part here. While we await Christ's return in the second advent, as he returns to earth, he will bring with him, we'll look next week as we look at judgment, um, uh, as we look at next week, sorry, let me explain. Where are we going with this series? Today we look at Jesus' first coming. Next week we look at Jesus' second coming. Then we look at heaven, we look at hell, and we look at death somewhere in here over the next five weeks. First coming, second coming, heaven, hell, death and death over the next five weeks. Sounds interesting, hey? This is the great story of the world. are things that everybody thought Jesus would do here that he is only going to do here. Lord, are you at this stage going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It's not for you to know the times and the dates with which I'll come back and I will do this. You and I live in the overlap of the ages. You live here in this strange moment of the already, but the not yet. Already Christ has come, but not yet. Has he fully completed what he's going to do? In Jesus' first coming, he launched the kingdom, and he ushered in what the Bible calls, ever since Pentecost, the last days. When you read the Bible in the last days, there's nothing much that's going to change until uh, the next big moment on the scale here is is Jesus' return. We look forward with anticipation to the return of Christ. In Jesus' first coming, he inaugurated as the fancy word, began his kingdom. In his return, he will fancy word, consummate his kingdom complete, what he's come to do. Uh, For those who are maybe a bit older, I'm sorry, younger guys, you might miss this illustration. In Jesus's first coming was was D-Day as the beaches of Normandy were stormed. It was just a matter of time before Jesus' return, VE day, the final surrender. We live in between D-Day Christ's coming and VE day, the ultimate way we know the story will end. As we work out and we appropriate the victory Christ won when he came in and through our lives in the world. Jesus has rescued you and is transforming you and will ultimately transform you until you are perfectly fit for heaven. What you will notice about that diagram I put up there, compared to the others, is notice the timeline is primarily not about your life. It's about the great story of what God is doing in history. And that the grand narrative of the history of the world is, is it, it swallows up, if you will, the story, the I story is swallowed up in the kingdom story. My little 70 odd years or whatever gets swallowed up in the great drama of what God is doing. Eternal life is not just about uh, there one day, some miraculous thing that's going to happen. But in this story, you're already living in what God is doing. You're already living in the age of Christ breaking in. Um To some degree, you can live into it already now. Most importantly, salvation is not for just a future destination, but it informs a present reality now. John Ortberg's title for his book is right. Eternity is already in session. You're already living in it. Dallas Woodard said this, Eternal life in the individual does not begin after death but at the point where God touches the individual with redeeming grace and draws them into a life interactive with himself and his kingdom. Christianity is not just like going to kick in one day while we kind of huddle together and hope that we don't fall away until Jesus comes to get us. Jesus has broken in in His first coming, and now through the church, He is at work to bring His kingdom in the world. You have been saved into a story of what God has been doing through the ages that will span all of eternity. You don't have to look inwards to discover your purpose and your meaning. You look upwards, and you look outwards, and you recognize what God is doing in the world, and you realize that He has taken your life and woven it like a thread into the great fabric of what he is doing through all of history it's not just my little eye story that thing just vaporizes and gets swallowed up in the great story of what the king is doing in history you get lost your story gets swept up into the great story of what God is doing so let's ask the question what's the purpose of life in this worldview, to live in such a way as to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, all the while becoming more and more like Christ. Think about that for a second, these two things. To live in such a way as to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, all the while so you yourself are being transformed to become more and more like Christ. We'll explore it more deeply as the series goes. But, but apprentices of Jesus are those who are day by day trusting that the that heaven that's breaking in and broken in would permeate their lives and their desires and their thoughts and their hopes and their fears and their dreams, transforming how we live in our own lives and experience that but also outward into our communities so let's see how this plays out in the story of a man named Zacchaeus maybe you know the story of Zacchaeus Luke chapter 19 verse 1 to 9 we read it together just have a look look at the different stories he has Jesus the kingdom of God coming in Zacchaeus's life Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, which is like code for the rottenest, most corrupt, dirty, sinful man in the town, right? This guy was like on the most hated list as a corrupt official. I nearly slipped out a name in the first meeting, but I didn't. (laughs) But you can fill in the blanks. Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He was very good at being corrupt. He tried, to get, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And Jesus—and when Jesus came, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, "Come, come, come down quick. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his house in great excitement and joy. What a picture of salvation. The people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. All the religious, well-to-do good people were upset because Jesus went to so-and-so's house and they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord and if I have cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Minimum entrance requirements. We're just... Rather, what we see here is we see a transformed heart and a renewed vision of life as the kingdom of God comes in someone's life. We're changed on the inside and we live differently in the outside. And Jesus says in verse nine, Jesus responded when Zacchaeus said this, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus says salvation has come in this home today because which doesn't mean Zacchaeus is going to heaven one day when he dies. Although it's true, he will. Yay. But there's so much more. It means Jesus has come into this house. Up there, heaven has broken into down here, Zacchaeus' life. And now heaven is coming into the world as the poor are being helped, the cheated are receiving ju- uh, justice. God's will Heaven is being done on earth as this ordinary believer, ordinary person has embraced Christ and received the gospel. Salvation is not exclusively about getting to heaven one day when we die. It's about getting heaven into you now and then working that way out into our community. It's not just about relocation one day. It's not just a change of address It's a transformation of your whole life. It's not just about what God wants to do to you. It's about what God wants to do in you and through you into our world, into his world, into the South Peninsula. Stop for a second and ask the question, what story are you living in? What story are you living in? The next question we must ask ourselves is, okay, so what must we do? What does it look like to recalibrate your life according to this great story? Four things, church. Number one, recalibrate our lives, our time, our money, our dreams according to God's great story. Can you see how radically different this is to It's now or never, so be true to yourself and do what makes you happy. You are an eternal being in a temporary world. You have you are part of the cost of the great drama of what God is doing in history. Don't just go off script and do your own thing. No, ask what is the king doing in this moment? What is God doing in this moment? And what does it look like to play my role in the great story of what God is doing? There are bigger data points or decision-making points in your life than the car that you will drive, or the career that you will have, or the house that you will live in, or as we saw in our sexuality series, our sexual orientation, even the state of our nation, all of that is the terrarium. Yet when we lose sight of, of, of the great work of what God is doing, those things become the things that we make all our decisions by. Those things become all-consuming. They become our reference points that we live by. And I think so many of us are living in the temporary present as if that's all that matters. And I'm trying to make a case for us today as we look at this series of breaking the glass of the ter- terrarium and realizing this is not all that there is. This is not the most important thing that is happening in your life. There are data points of Christ's coming and Christ Christ's Christ's return and what Jesus is doing that swallows up and dwarfs the terrarium of what we presently find ourselves in. And in fact, not just dwarfs them, but it gives new meaning within there that transforms how we live. So why not step out of the little I story? Stop looking within yourself for meaning and purpose and look to what Jesus is doing in the world. Look into the great pages of reality as you look at the great story of what God is doing in past and present and future. The great story written by the Father with Jesus as the protagonist. Who saves the church from the power of sin and selfishness. And invite the Holy Spirit to empower you as you endeavor to bring God's kingdom in your world, in your community. You and I live in this unique moment in history as we straddle, in what the Bible calls the last days, as we straddle the age of sin and the age of glory. Already God has come, but not yet has he completed what he's doing we are pilgrims on a journey toward a heavenly city, doing all that we can to see our communities transformed to become signposts to the age to come of heaven. And, and, and all the whilst we are being transformed in the likeness to our King. Oh, they say, they say, oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. Have you ever met somebody like that? The early Christ followers had an understanding of eternity, of life on the other side of death. Of, of 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 seeing There was a permeable it was a permeable I want to say membrane, but it was like a plastic sheet that separated this thing through. It wasn't just all that it is and then let's just hope. it was. They could see through to the other side. They knew they were already living in it and that sense of what's to come influenced and shaped what they were able to do in this life, this side of death. Are you living in a temporary terrarium? What does it look like to have God break that glass and open your eyes to the great reality? And so number two is what must we do? Go all in. Ask how much can I give versus how much can I get away with? John Ortberg tells a story in his book. He says, let's say I acquire, in fact, we'll adapt it. I'm part of a program called Discovery Vitality, which means that if I get a certain number of exercise points in a week, and if I eat a particular way, and if I drive a particular way, totally takes over a whole life, actually, all of these sorts of things. If I reach all of these things here, then they will reward me for my good behavior, Right? And so I want to know, this is the big question when it comes to this, what is the bare minimum I have to do? What is the lowest number I have to hit to maintain my status, right? Why? Because this is about receiving perks, not about transforming the person that I am. Now imagine I was to say to my wife on my wedding day, babe, I want to know, what is the least that I can do to stay married to you? I mean, what is the lowest level of commitment? What are the fewest number of affirmations, the smallest promises that I can make? What is the highest level of ignorance that's permissible so that I can keep my husband's status? If you're living in the second story of Christianity, it's all about minimum entrance requirements. It's, it becomes about how much, can I keep for, how much can I keep for myself and still get in one day? Do I have to go to church or not? Do I have to join a life group? Do I have to care about my community? Is it, is it 10% before tax? Is it 10% after tax? <laughs> How much can I keep for myself and still get in? I'm, not, I'm being honest. I, I feel the same things. I, I, get, I preach it, but I also <coughs> feel it as well, you know? How much can I keep for myself and still stay in? And yet, look at Zacchaeus. Look look at what look what ha- this is about heaven perfect Glories. We well, look at it week three, breaking into my life and informing how I live every moment of every day. I want to. I want to walk in step with the great King who who has come and is coming back. I want to see my life being transformed day by day, so that one day when I arrive on the shores of heaven, uh, on the shores of heaven, I'll fit. I'll belong. I, 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 I won't break it, you know, by messing it up. The, uh, what happens is when you do this, you gain a greater sense of meaning and purpose and significance in this life. But the key is go all in. Don't see how much I can keep for myself and still get in. You you just take your chips and you just go, if this is true, I'm, I'm all in. I'm on a winner hand for the poker players. That's what the gospel is. I'm going all in. Two more, two more. Number three, make it your purpose to know God more make it your purpose to know God more. Eternal life that the Bible talks about is not primarily marked by duration. It's marked by relationship. We'll explore John chapter 14 in three weeks time in heaven. But, but look here, John chapter 14 verse 3. This is Jesus speaking. This is eternal life. What's eternal life? This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What's eternal life? Knowing God. In his book, Ortberg speaks of two different kinds of knowledge. Uh, philosophers distinguish between knowledge by description and knowledge by acquaintance or experience. Knowledge by description. As a family, we would love to go to Namibia one day and just explore Namibia. There's so much about that place that looks so beautiful. Beautiful sand dunes, a rugged coast. Uh, the fact that it was had German influence, which is so different. What does that look like? Natural beauty. I can describe to you a little bit about Namibia or Dar es Salaam or all these other places that I know by description, but I tell you what, there was a moment about, I don't know, six weeks ago, I walked out from my house, and I felt the Southeaster blowing on me, and I, I, I don't know if you can feel the air pressure, but but somehow I knew spring was coming, I just, I just knew it by how it felt when I walked out, it was like something in my memory, in my in my me, Experienced something that I knew and was familiar, and I knew it and I was home. And it's not knowledge by description. It's not somebody told me uh, that it's southeaster blows and whatever, you know. It was, I've walked out and I could, I could feel, I could feel spring. We'd been in winter. Remember, winter, 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 rain, rain, rain. rain. Suddenly I walked out, oh, it's coming. And I, I knew it. I knew it because I'd experienced it. This is what the Bible, where Jesus says, eternal life, this is what it is. You can know God like this not just by description. I heard the preacher said this. No, no, you can know God experientially in an interactive way, in a participatory way, in an experiential way. Rankin-Wilbourne in his book on the union with Christ, he says this, union with Christ is not an idea to be understood, but a new reality to be lived in through faith. You step into a reality. It's the story you live in. And number four, the fourth thing we must do, Spend as much time as you can on things that will last for all time. Because this world, this terrarium will suck you in. Buy this, spend this, get into debt to buy this now. So let's keep you in there long. Just squeeze it all in now. It's now or bust. Rather spend as much time as you can on things that will last for all time. When you become a, a disciple of Jesus, you break free from limited time. That silly little dash between 19-whatever and 20-whatever becomes around the planet and back. You've got to think of yourself more, of an, more like an olive tree than a, a temporary daisy. You have got all eternity to grow, to enjoy, to work, to travel A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of seeing a thousand-year-old olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. The original ones at the time of Christ were taken out by the Romans when they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. A thousand years later, they planted these trees, and I took that photograph. I've never seen a tree like that. It's a little daisy hanging over here or some other kind of thing over there, but this. An olive tree mindset is different than a daisy mindset you you've got to slow down and prioritize things that last for a long time and a, a tree like this with a timeline that goes like that endures seasons of hardship it doesn't just tap out quickly temporarily you know it, it, it enjoys endures seasons of pruning it suffers it, it has an internal clock that's longer than just quickly a fruit fly a day too many metaphors a daisy that's just quick and gone you know it, it, it thinks long term. The, the, the temptation to, to sh- take a shortcut decision because it's easy in the present moment. It, 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 an olive tree would never do that because the, t- the short term decision, you live with long term consequences. Li- let, me just, let me just cut off this little shoot here because it's catching too much wind. A thousand years from now, there's a whole ginormous limb that's missing now. It thinks differently. In Greece, this olive tree has been certified to have been around at the time of Christ. Over 2,000 years, oh, those trees can't afford to take shortcuts. And I believe something of our modern hurry symptom is because we're living like fruit fly daisies. We'll mix these metaphors, you know. Gone. That's not you. That's not who you are. You don't have to make your decisions based on just these temporary factors. What's going to bring me the most satisfaction? What's the government going to do next? Oh, what's happening with this? I feel the same pressure. Think, what would Jesus do if he were me? What is Jesus doing? Well, the kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. It's already, but it's not yet. The kingdom is breaking in. I'm I'm, I'm in the power of the Holy Spirit to be transformed in this moment. I can suffer, I can endure, I can be pruned because I've got an eye on who I'm becoming for all of eternity. I'm making my decisions not based on how do I just, you know, secure the best immediate, but I'm making decisions based on how do I, how do I, in my moment, bring God's kingdom where he's placed me to be. How do I, how do I, I'm making olive tree decisions. I'm not making daisy decisions. We're olive trees, I think, who are making decisions like daisies often. And our lives in the present are poorer because of it. And so this series, as we look at Christ's return next week, as we look at heaven, as we look at hell, as we look at death, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take this kind of gray mush, I know there's something there, it's going to happen, and put some finite realities to them that then work backwards and we carry with us in our present lives to how we live here. Does that make sense? What story are you living in, friends? What story are you living in? The incessant, nonstop voice of culture is to the terrarium. When you were, when you were put into Christ, the glass shattered. And, and you became an eternal being in a temporary world. Live for God's kingdom as much as possible. Invite Christ into your life to know him and transform you, that you'd be able to become like him now. This salvation influences your life now. Let's pray together. Band, if I can invite you to come and play. I mean, I I know this isn't all of our thinking. I I feel it as well. The pressure and the pull to just live now in the terrarium but let's zoom out. let's see what Christ is doing. Let's, when you become a disciple of Jesus, your our story is swept up, and it doesn't become less. It, it becomes more, because it's bigger than you, you're swept up into. It, it's, it's, not, it, it's lost in the best sense of the world, because it's, it's enhanced, it becomes multiplied, it becomes more beautiful and more glorious, as it's added together with all of the other stories, as it's woven into what Jesus is ultimate, ultimately doing but it's very difficult to do in a culture that says it's all about me. Be true to yourself. There's so much more. Can we stand together? Jesus, what does it look like to live right now as if you were in my life? Tomorrow when I go to work, I look at spreadsheets or I clean tables or I stock shelves or I look after kids, I teach, I make decisions about other people's money, whatever it is. Jesus, what would you do? You are bringing your kingdom. You began something that you are now continuously doing through the church until you ultimately come and complete what you began Christ, what does it look like to have my life swallowed up and woven into what you are doing in the world? Jesus, I want to pray for some individuals this morning who are living under the crushing weight of anxiety, of having to look within themselves to find a purpose, to self-generate meaning. And it's causing anxiety and pressure in their lives, Jesus pray you would help us to have our eyes taken off of ourselves from looking inwards to looking upwards and looking outwards as our lives are relocated from our little our stories and relocated into the great story of what Christ is doing in the world. Holy Spirit, I I ask that you would come and speak to me. Would you pray that prayer for yourself? Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? I don't know what decisions you're making or facing at the moment. What, What does it look like to take an eternal view on that decision? What does it look like to go all in? What does it look like to know God more? to make that the great pursuit of your life, so much so that in doing so, you're transformed into His likeness. What does it look like to have the loud voice of the present quietened by the great story of what God is doing? And for peace to come in that place and for meaning to come in your life. I wonder, perhaps there's some here who, maybe you're new to the church or you, you but, but, but you, you'd say, I need that. I need that. I, I actually, I'm tired of just living my life for me. It's not enough. I know there's more. Jesus' invitation, Well, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. If that's you, pray this prayer. You say, Christ, thank you that you came. You didn't remain distant, that you came and you showed me what it looks like to be fully human, to live for a purpose grander than just my own little terrarium existence, to live for others, to bring heaven to earth. Jesus, I want to be your disciple, Jesus. I want to be with you. I want to become like you. And I want to learn to live as you would live if you were me. Jesus, there's so much I have done and am doing wrong. Would you forgive me, I pray, and would you transform me like you did Zacchaeus in a moment and over a lifetime as I give you my life, my King. I wanna be your disciple. Come and teach me, Lord, I pray. That's the prayer you pray to Jesus. When you pray that, your life will never be the same. We're going to sing this song, church, and just trust that as we do, the Spirit of God would continue to minister to you.